the 400th episode of what the truck it's you surprised episode. me dude that wasn't even in the show notes nothing really 400 it's right there 400 episode of what wow. the truck man well, thanks for joining us on the show hey well thank you for <laughs> letting me be here good friday afternoon from the heart of freight alley Yo, that's actually 400th 400th the 400th <laughs> Hey, uh, <laughs> so minorly serious. Fortunately, no major injuries here, yeah. but Biden's supposed to be over in Pittsburgh today talking about infrastructure. Well, timing couldn't have been better or worse because a bridge collapsed over there. It did, yeah. The bridge that goes over a hot dog damn dog park. Wow. I'm not making that up. In Frick Park. Yeah, yeah. thank God. No ma- major injuries. There's a bus on this bridge when it collapsed. Yeah, there's a dog park right underneath it? or I it's get, right Yes, there? yes, there's actually wow. a dog park underneath it. Yeah. So that could have been much worse. You know, it, when that bridge collapsed in, in Minneapolis, Minnesota uh, years ago, right? Yeah. People thought that would be the big breakthrough, the big push for an infrastructure bill. And here we are still uh, battling through it. So we'll see what comes out of that, that meeting in Pittsburgh today. Uh, meanwhile, up in Canada, that Freedom Convoy 2020 is right getting on. closer to the capital. But meanwhile, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, he says that he had a COVID exposure, right? He's not positive. He's negative, but he's going into isolation for five days just as that convoy's rolling in. That convoy now has raised seven million Canadian dollars. Seven million. And that money's being dispersed now, too. It's not frozen. You may oh, have it read is. the media got- reports that it's being frozen. Got- that was just sort of a formality where they needed to, you know, get check all the boxes, figure out how that money was going to be handed out. Right. And that, uh, that's been figured out. So that's rolling through there. So over the weekend, hopefully everything stays peaceful over there. You yeah, know, people right. get the message out that they want. But, you know, we don't see uh, we don't see any violence. Yeah. Do your thing. Speak your mind. But, uh, yeah, keep it cool. One other piece of news is I just saw this on G Captain. January COVID cases for the U.S. West Coast longshore workers topped the total for 2021. Wow. So in one month, in one month, they blew away all of 2021. Omicron just blew right through the wow. port. Yeah, I mean, dude, I mean, we quickly went from anecdotally, I knew people who had uh, uh, COVID. Yeah. To anecdotally, I knew somebody who did have, who did not have Omicron. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, it, had. It, it's it's spreading like wildfire. Crazy. Um, like we said, this is a NASA episode, too. Today we're talking space tacos, growing peppers that are out of this world in the interstellar food supply nice. chain. We got Aaron Graft and Mike Magino uh, from Triumph. They are going to share what it's like building the payments network for the trucking industry. Jason Gillespie, Senior Director of Continuous Improvement over at DHL. He's going to talk about what to look out for in autonomous tech in 2022 and what DHL is doing with that. And uh, Mark Shedler from J.J. Keller will be with us in just a second. He's going to talk about the power of predictive analytics. But first, we get a tip the band. You may think of AIT Worldwide Logistics as an average U.S. forwarder, but in recent years, they've evolved to become a global transportation management leader, generating more than $2 billion in annual freight revenue by providing supply chain solutions for Fortune 500 companies shipping between Asia, Europe, and North America. Despite the company's exponential growth, they are still the experts when it comes to creating customized solutions to fulfill your supply chain requirements. Find out how your business can benefit from AIT logistics experts at Tell Them, dude. Hey, go to AIT. ITWorldwide.com immediately after this show. 
How about we talk to Mark Shedler, Senior Transportation Management Editor over at J.J. Keller. He's got a wealth of experience from his time with the U.S. Navy as a supply officer. He spent years with Schneider and uh, also with Gordon Trucking as well. And today he's going to educate us, as I mentioned in the open, about predictive analytics. Mark, thanks for coming on the show. Oh, Mark's muted. Mark, can you unmute yourself for us, buddy? Oh, there we go. There you go. I'm not muted. <laughs> there you go, Mark. We got oh, you up now. maybe we had you muted. I'm not sure. Sure. Yeah, well, hey, you had me muted. Well, okay. I personally didn't. Uh, my hands are clean. Mark, 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 tell us, introduce yourself to us real quick. Well, uh, Mark Shedler from J.J. Keller. I've been here uh, six years, but spent uh, 90, from 91 on in uh, trucking until 2016 when I was privileged enough to come to work for uh, J.J. Keller. I've worked for primarily large uh, carriers, uh, but uh, certainly had to suffer through uh, some pretty antiquated ways of dealing with uh, all the data uh, from the truck, uh, compliance and whatnot. So I feel uh, that it's a good time to be talking about predictive analytics the way uh, Keller's operationalizing it uh, today. Well, then let's talk about it. What are predictive analytics and how are your customers using them? Well, the way that we're operationalizing it is with our DataSense engine, and it assigns a, uh, adver- a probability of an adverse event. And along with that, you know, that really doesn't help a carrier, but the recommended corrective actions are what uh, the big value add is. So uh, if let's give you an example, a driver's got a trend already of uh, a couple of uh, excessive speed events and they've been informally coached uh, in a week's time. They have another couple of speed events and a hard break. Uh, the system sees that the probability of an adverse event goes up. It makes a recommendation to Uh, coach and then assign our uh, speed and space management uh, training, for example. And, you know, the outcome is that it also ranks drivers in their compliance and safety scores uh, by least compliant uh, to most compliant and uh, most uh, safe to most unsafe. So uh, you can see within a fleet who your stars are and who your drivers are that uh, need uh, attention and, uh, you know, back in the day when I was using my 10-tab uh, Excel spreadsheet that was two weeks old when I got it, uh, the data was pretty stale. Uh, my team had to sift through it to figure out what was most important. And this system prioritizes it based on impact uh, to the uh, compliance or the respective safety scores. And you can even tell uh, within a fleet by dr- board is what I used to call it, uh, but by driver manager, who's got uneven uh, enforcement, maybe who's maximizing productivity and not safety. Uh, so I think this really does cut a lot of time out of it. And with our rollout, it's phased. So we're bringing in uh, more data with each uh, release from a customer, everything from uh, the compliance uh, MVR type, uh, driver qualification type information uh, to hours of service alerts, uh, CSA uh, violations and crashes. Uh, but also can have incidents and accidents on their lost run report added. And then if you're uh, doing it, uh, using telematics uh, and dash cam events. So it really does cover the the fire hose of data that the drivers, the, the carriers are dealing with. Yeah, so it's hitting it's hitting all the points that uh, that I certainly can think of, and you were it's pretty exhaustive the amount of data points that are coming through there. Let's talk about the value that this brings to the carriers. What What, what value do they get out of this particular system? Well, I can think of two big ones, uh, and certainly today there's no lack of press uh, coverage on the shortage of uh, qualified drivers, I'll say, 
and you know the higher turnover that some of the segments uh, uh, create. So when you're looking at your existing driver, because I used to think about this when when uh, drivers got short, is this person that's in front of me with a few correctable actions better than this unknown quantity? If I can even find a driver. Uh, to bring them in the door. And the answer is today, you got to invest in the drivers you have. You have to invest in your fleet uh, in order to keep retention up. And it's not just retention, it's recruiting. Uh, uh, Carriers with low uh, CSA scores are far more attractive to professional drivers than those that are uh, running high in the basics and probably getting pulled in uh, and inspected a lot more often because of their ISS scores. And the second big one is, of course, defendability. Uh, Carriers have to uh, realize they're accountable for what they should have known and should have done, not what they took the time to do or just because they struggle with their data and they didn't get a time to look at something on a particular driver that was an issue uh, and they have a crash, that's not going to play in court. So you got to get beyond reacting to uh, violations and and, uh, crashes and lean forward and be be more proactive. So I think these systems make carriers uh, more defendable. Yeah, I think so, Mark. Hey, we're just about out of time over here. Any closing thoughts for carriers and where can they go to get some more information? Uh, sure. Uh, JJKeller.com is uh, the, the website. Uh, at JJ Keller Associates, I believe, is our, our Twitter handle. But, you know, it's a little slower time. Tempo's uh, winding down a little bit. It's time to look at your policies and procedures, make sure they match they're tight enough and they match what you're what you're doing. Uh, if you haven't jump started a dash cam program, certainly uh, consider that. But dash cams with coaching, don't just put them in the truck and let them sit there and collect evidence. Uh, and then if you're ready for it, <laughs> consider predictive analytics. Thank you very much, Mark. Have a great weekend and all great points. Take those to heart, people. I, I loved it. I, I, I love the don't let it just collect evidence. Yeah. No, I got to agree with him. <laughs> right, you know, that's, so that's this is this is our NASA episode of the show. This is yes, one of sir. our space episodes. These are always our favorites. Well, the company that's coming up next, they're going to be talking about building the payments network for the freight. And right. they recently, I was reading this article about how they have, uh, what was it, the first fully automated factoring payments. And it was likened yeah. by that side of the industry as their own moon landing. So Very cool. Excited to talk Exciting to them. Stuff. Excited to hear what's going on in that. And we're actually going to have a follow-up from something we talked about in October. Um, who do we got with us? It is Aaron Graff, CEO over at uh, Triumph Bancorp. And we got Mike Mangino. He's a CTO over at Triumph Pay. Gentlemen, Thanks for spending some time with us on this Friday. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks a lot. <laughs> well, Aaron, before we, ju- I mean, I got, I got a question for you to lead things off. So we covered this in October, but not everybody may have seen that episode. And it was the proof of concept for Triumph Payments Network. Um, can you refresh us on what that was and what's the latest update that you have on it? <laughs> sure. The So the proof of concept was, at that time, us arriving at the size where we paid more carriers than anyone else in the industry. And that was roughly 16 billion in carrier payments. And we've blown past that on to, you know, now our run rate is around 21 billion and continues to grow. So that was the proof of concept that there was the desire in the market to have someone step in and handle presentment, audit, and ultimately payment. And then our latest announcement, which Mike can talk about that we're very excited about, is taking the proof of concept that there's a market for what it is we set out to do 
and that we can serve that market with an automated transaction that we think is going to create incredible efficiencies for everyone. Everyone will win as a result of conforming transactions, becoming more integrated with everyone's payment process. Yeah, absolutely. Totally get that concept. Just so much money that is that is held up after the agreement has already been done, just waiting for payment. But Mike, uh, let's let's dig into this. As Aaron suggested, let's talk about what is your role in all of this. Where do you stand? Yeah, I'm really lucky to be a part of all of it. Um, as a chief technology officer, I've been able to come into the company through the merger with HubTran uh, back just in June. Feels like it was a lot longer ago than that. But but to lead, you know, hear from the team about what the idea is and putting all of these folks together and then make it real. And let me tell you, as a, as a programmer, there are two things we really love to do. Like we love to work on incredible technology to do fun things. But then anytime that you can take something that makes somebody else's life better, that's great as well. And, and I'm so lucky to be able to do those two things together. We can use amazing technology to connect factors, brokers together to eliminate a ton of the boring work that they have to do to make sure that those call checks that uh, you need to make to make sure that the payment's going to be made, those can go away. And so it's really fun to be able to see this start to roll out, to see the volume grow day after day, to hear more people signing up. It's just fantastic. Well, uh, payments, I mean, look, cash flow is super, super important in trucking. It's lifeblood of the industry. Money is moving around very quickly, especially with so much freight. 20, if you look in our sonar chart, if you look at our dry van spot rates from about May of 2020, yeah. right after the big collapse, sure. from May onwards, it's just been an upward trajectory. So much so that about three weeks ago in that series, we set the record in the sonar series for dry van spot rates. It was That's like correct. 383, right? Yeah. We're still right around there, there, 375. A lot of money moving around. Since you guys are at the intersection of how these drivers get paid, how carriers get paid, what trends are you noticing and what have you noticed along this time? Well, so whenever margins get like they are now, the barriers to entry that aren't very high to begin with get torn down. So what are we seeing? We're seeing new entrants into the industry, but I don't think that's new capacity. What you're seeing is smaller trucking companies being created by individuals who are leaving larger trucking companies. Mm -hmm. And so you have the same number of drivers moving freight just now you, you have smaller players able to make it with $2,400 spot rates, which is the latest we're seeing in, um, in, in our data, is something we've never seen before. And so what that means is it's good and bad. It's good that it's giving entrepreneurial drivers the margins that they need to start and build a business. The bad is it is making many market participants insensitive to costs that they're going to feel down the road, you know, whether it's in their fuel program or in their insurance or, frankly, mm. in the friction around the payment process. Mm. With $2,400 invoices, as long as the market can support that, there's enough money for everyone to make. The question I would pose for drivers specifically is what happens when we return to $1,500 or $1,600 invoices, which is the long-term mean. And in that scenario, where we think the conforming transaction saves per invoice, something to the magnitude of $10 to $15 per invoice, when you look at both the payor and the payee, that doesn't sound like a lot, but when you multiply that by millions and millions of transactions in what has historically always been a tight margin business, it's going to matter. And so we love seeing drivers make more money, but we think drivers need to get prepared. And we, our, our value proposition to the industry is to remove friction in driver payments and carrier payments and 
frankly, to reduce friction for the AP departments of freight brokers and shippers. And everybody needs people. It's, it's difficult to staff for this. And so if we can use our automation to make all of that more frictionless, then everyone wins. And I think you're really going to see that when this tailwind that we're all enjoying starts to subside. Hard to hard to disagree with what he just said no, there. No, I, I totally agree Michael with it hundred percent. The only question I really have left for you guys though is a term that's relatively uh new to me, and it may be to some of the audience, hmm. is that conforming transaction. What do you gentlemen mean by that? Oh. It, it's basically a transaction that connects the two parties. So when we have a factor that can send structured data, so not just an emailed invoice, but data about the data to the broker that links up with the load. So it's not a blind invoice, it's an invoice attached to a load in a broker's TMS, and that data can then go back and forth. So everything's connected, there's automatic status updates, so a factor inside their factoring system will see when the invoice is approved, when the payment's been scheduled, when the payment's been made without any reach out on their end, it's that interconnectedness that is the conforming transaction. Got it, so and it's to conforming paint a picture for you, To paint a picture for you on that, I have no doubt you went to the grocery store with your grandmother and washed her fish through her giant purse for her checkbook, <laughs> at which point she would write a check. The cashier would take the check, ask for her driver's license number, all of the things they needed to do to authenticate that that payment was legitimate. And frankly, that's how payments are still done in the trucking industry. Instead, we all now walk into a grocery store and use either a card or our phone and use structured data throughout the life cycle of a transaction that only lasts milliseconds. But during that time, every party who's party to the transaction knows exactly what they're going to get. So that's the quantum leap forward once conforming transactions become ubiquitous or used throughout the industry. It will be the transition from the old way of doing things, of writing a check, wondering how things are going to go over the next three to five days when you try to collect that check, to automated transactions using structured data where within seconds, everyone knows where everyone stands. And again, as a result, we think everyone wins. You know, with the picture that you painted, you also put a taste in my mouth. I had a very unique taste of like a Werther's original from the bottom of a pocketbook that tasted a little <laughs> bit like the copper of a penny as well as lipstick at the same time with maybe like a tobacco leaf or two thrown in there as well. <laughs> <Dude>. <laughs> well gentlemen, so I, I think what, what you have going on is super cool. We have a great article as well about what's going on with the fully automated factoring payments, but people want to connect with you. They want to learn more about working with you. Where should we send them to? Yeah, you can find us at triumphpay.com uh, and, and read all about what we're doing there. We're on all forms of social media. Uh, just Google Triumph Pay and learn more about what we're doing and how we can be helpful. By the way, you got me curious. What's the building behind you in, the, in that picture? That is a artistic rendering of downtown Dallas. We just slapped our name on there. Um, and so, you know. I guess it's it's our our way of saying we want to uh, our, our names on the building and and if you could pan out you'd see a much larger picture with with actually bulls running down the street so um, for the next sec next time I'm on with you we'll like turn the camera a little bit and you can get more of that picture. Okay, well, I see I'll, I'll stay now. bullish until then. Thank you so much for explaining <laughs> that and uh, and satisfying my curiosity. Take it easy and have a great weekend, guys. All right, sweet. Thanks, guys. Thank you all. You know, you speed up the transaction on $16 billion worth of transactions yes. to what they're doing here. And that amount of capital freed up in the economy 
is a huge impact. It's massive, and I, I and I don't think it, if you don't know payments, you you don't know factoring, you don't deal with that side of it. You may not know how huge this is for that part of the industry. It really is. I mean, it's sixteen billion dollars that would be tied up for days. That is now. Boop. Hey, last time we were dressed. Awesome. Uh, last time we talked to this gentleman, we were dressed like characters from uh, Squid Game. It was on. Oh, was is that Hell right? <laughs> He's on for another unique episode, though. This is our NASA episode about space peppers, and it's Jason Gillespie. He's the senior director of continuous improvement in, and innovation over at DHL Supply Chain. Jason, this is the NASA episode, so I got to ask you: Would you eat a space taco? I would eat pretty much any kind of taco. I think, yeah. So, space taco, definitely. Yeah, Earth taco, space taco doesn't really matter where it comes from. Earth taco. <laughs> yeah. taco, whatever you got. Yeah. <clears throat> well, you know, you're always very, very passionate about autonomous trucks and what DHL is doing with, with autonomy. And the last time we talked to you, you mentioned your excitement for this journey to autonomous vehicles. Um, here we are a few months later. It's a, it's, a, it's a part of the industry that's developing really, really rapidly. What's going on now? What's your take on them now? So the take is that we're, we're live. I mean, we're doing live pilots. Uh, that's, I'm most excited about that and the fact that, you know, we're, we're going from con con conceptual to real, uh, even though we got to keep the driver in the truck, and we'll talk more about that later. But, uh, you know, the benefits long term, uh, really looking at that roadmap to get to getting the driver out of the vehicle. I'm really excited about that. Um, you know, and we all know, I mean, you know, it, there's the concern about driver shortages. It's going to help with mm -hmm. the driver shortage situation eventually. But um, it's, you know, the, the drivers are just going to move the kind of work they're going to be doing. Right. So we know that they're going to be doing the first and last mile, uh, more of the complicated inner you know, city and urban driving. So the drive, the jobs don't go away. They just to me, they get better. Right. So you're in and out every day coming back home. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that's what it is. It just moves the jobs to a different, uh, different type of different type of work, and enhances right. everything right now. Right, uh, makes things more efficient. But specifically, how is DHL supply chain? How are you guys really helping to advance the technology? Well, you know, when we help, when we run the pilots, uh, working with our partners right now, which we've announced two of uh, through Embark and Too Simple, uh, we we want to work with them to understand their roadmap to full autonomy. Um, what does that network look like? You know, when I mentioned that first and last mile hub, you know, where are those hubs going to be? How are we going to run those? Are we going to have a secure gate? Are we going to automate the, the intake and the out, you know, the, the outbound? <clears throat> There's a lot to think about there with how we get to that point. So um, that's, that's how we want to help. We want to be part of that. We want to be doing the pilots. Uh, we want to be on the forefront, but also we want to be able to help build that infrastructure and start thinking about things uh, I was I was uh, at a conference very recently where someone said, OK, well, what about when the truck breaks down? Uh, is a human driver going to go handle that or can we automate that, too? So there's things that drivers do as part of a, a, as their job that uh, a, a driverless vehicle can't do. Right. How are they going to put cones out on the road? So there's a lot of interesting things we have to think about and work with our partners on. Um, to do that. So we've done detailed network analysis. We've, we've, we've done all the, I think, all the due diligence to get there. Um, but we got to keep pushing on that, again, on that path to get the driver out of the vehicle. Yeah, and you make some good points there because you're talking about something with, with autonomous trucks that's equipment heavy as well as very software heavy, right? And not just for DHL, but also yeah. for any customers who intend to use them. How are these going to integrate into our systems? How do we prepare for this big change that's that's going to be moving in here throughout the decade? How are you preparing for that to have a realistic timeline so that not only do things function smoothly within DHL, but they also function smoothly for the clients who want to participate in this? 
Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. You know, we we, we want to get the benefits of uh, of everything I mentioned, including the safety, including the efficiency, the the, the go green elements. You know, where you can get, uh, you know, that the, there's not they're not idling the trucks. But how do we prepare? Um, like I said, I, I want to look at what that target is mm-hmm. if it's 2025 and back out and say, what do I need to be doing in 2022 other than just running these test lanes? Um, you know, we, we need to be thinking about every step of the process to get the infrastructure in place, how refueling is going to be handled, some of the stuff I touched on earlier. Then there's the regulatory piece, right? So we all know that it's kind of a state game right now where the states are all making their own rules. Um, and while some states are very easy to work with there, some are less so. Um, is the federal government going to create some, uh, some, some, some guidelines here to help everyone get on the same page? You know, so the, a lot of that is up in the air. Uh, I don't want to just keep running, you know, intra Texas, right. Uh, you know, Dallas to Houston all the time. Right. So we need to, we need to be looking at all of those things. Uh, and again, you, you brought up another point I want to touch on real quick, um, with our customers, I look at this as a little bit of a hybrid solution. So, you know, we, we do everything from dedicated carrier, uh, dedicated fleets to contract carriers to brokers. What is an autonomous network? It's somewhere in between, if you ask me. So I think it's like, how do you manage that? Uh, what, are, what are the new jobs and responsibilities that go with monitoring this network of basically drones out there running around on the highways? So it, 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 it's fun to think about. It's a lot to think about. We got a lot of work to do, but uh, yeah, those are some of the things I think we need to really be uh, on top of. Yeah, absolutely. You bring up a great point when you start talking about your, your customers there and, and educating those people. What do they need to be thinking about as you bring this, this technology forward, right? You got some that are probably going to embrace it and some that are going to be like, well, test it somewhere else and then I'll step in after it's good, right? Is that a, is that a viable option to take if you're, if you're in the industry? This You guys develop it and test out and then when it's good, I'll just jump right in? That's really what we're trying to do. You know, I mean, a lot of it's going to be psychological. It's going to be confidence levels. Um, Once you see that, I think, you know, companies like DHL are out there running these things and really putting them out on the road. And like you said, we have some of these these tip of the spear customers who are willing to go along that ride with us. you, You build up that confidence. And then, you know, hopefully they're all just like, well, hey, I want to be part of that, too. Um, It's not only cool, but it's where I think we need to go. Um, so, so yeah, I think a, a lot of it's just that confidence building, you know, I, I'd be the same way. Um, you know, if, if you have an assisted driving car, how, how often are you comfortable to let go of the wheel? Right. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, 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 it's a shift that I think we all have to get used to. Well, in the meantime, and people who want more information with this, they want to start getting more comfortable with it. They want to know what's on the horizon. Where can we send them to learn more about DHL's transportation capabilities? Yeah, so we got this great podcast called All Business No Boundaries. So uh, we get into a lot of detail there with uh, topics like this and more in our accelerated digitalization path. So happy to uh, talk to you guys anytime about this. And it was good to actually see your faces. Uh, you did catch me off guard last time, but you know now I'm ready for anything. <laughs> well, we appreciate it, Jason. You have a great weekend and uh, keep up the good work over there. Thanks, Jason. All right. Thanks, guys. Take care. You know, the funny thing about those masks is I didn't recognize him either because those holes were so little, I could barely read. Oh, the, yeah, we had these Squid Game masks on <laughs> a Halloween. If, if you didn't see our Halloween episode, we did the whole show in them. And um, the holes are super small, right? So you oh had to play there like a little pinhole, like focal point just to like see our notes. Yeah. Here and understand what's going on. It's not well, easy. 
Man. Anyways, we got to tip the band again. China, Vietnam, Belgium, France, Germany, Italy, Switzerland, the Netherlands, the United Kingdom, Canada, and Mexico. AIT Worldwide Logistics has 2,000 supply chain experts in these countries and, of course, in offices across the world. As the organization continues to expand and make it easier than ever for customers to ship between Asia, Europe, and North America. If you're ready to create a shipping program as unique as your business... As unique as you, Michael Vincent. As unique as me? Yes, as That's unique hard to as believe, you. Dude. You can learn more at <laughs> Go to AITWorldwide.com immediately after the show. Hey, here's a little video intro for our next segment. Oh, sweet. You audio listeners are watching an astronaut right now. Let peppers fly in zero gravity for the International Space it. Station after their fantastic experiment that yielded these delicious peppers that were eventually turned into a dynamite space taco. taco. Is that Oscar playing the uh, playing the piano? It could be. Space looks, <laughs> I mean, space looks really fun. I wish we could do this show in zero gravity. Well, we're joined now awesome. by Oscar. Is it Mo- Monet? How do I say your last name, Oscar? I don't want to uh, get it wrong. Oh, no problem. It's Monet. 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 Okay, I was close enough. Well, you are a research scientist air at the Air Revitalization Lab APH Science Team and the Space Crop Production Team over at the Kennedy Space Center. That's a, uh, that's a very interesting title. How does someone end up in a role such as that? Well, I'm a scientist. So, you know, I started out as a plant physiologist and I came to the Kennedy Space Center a while back, you know, uh, late 98 somewhere around there, to work on a, a, a space biology experiment. And since then, you know, as the uh, I remain working in space and I'm becoming a space farmer slowly, uh, as the AP advanced plant habitat, which grew those peppers, was being developed, I, I stayed on, uh, prepared its uh, requirements, and eventually tested some of the subsystems, and then we finally got to use it. Well, Oscar, you know, in freight, yeah. a lot of people don't grow up saying like, ah, you know, I always wanted to be a freight broker when I grow up or, <laughs> or uh, you know, I wanted to be a dock hand when I grow yeah. up. But NASA is one of those jobs that when you were a kid, Certainly you dream is. of being an astronaut, you dream yep. of working with NASA. When you Was this in your mind's eye when you were a kid? Like, I am going to help facilitate the growing of fruits and vegetables up in space? Well, I wanted to be an astronaut when I was a little kid, you know, like everybody else in the I'm, I'm old enough to know about those cereal boxes and stuff. But, you know, I, I did my part and I went to school and I got a chance to, you know, learn learn about plants and space farming is a hot topic now. It, it is. And, you know, every time we, we interviewed NASA, yeah. it, it occurs to me more and more that it doesn't matter what you do. You can be involved with, sure. with NASA. Right. I mean, there's so many different things. And now we're talking about plants. Let's talk about advanced plant habitat. What is advanced plant habitat? Well, Advanced Plant Habitat right now is a research facility. It's a chamber, you know, where you can grow plants. And it's about uh, the size of a large uh, microwave oven. But, you know, it, it has a lot of controls in it that you can control the light, uh, have full sunlight, you know, on, on, on midday. So it's pretty, uh, a, a lot of light. And then you can change the wavelengths. Uh, it's, it's got white LEDs, green, blue, far red. So you can change the spectra. You can control the CO2 and, you know, um, and then we can deploy it in space. There's one on the space station and then we can grow some plants. Well, you know, we're looking at this video too, and it looks very uh, scientific. It looks very laboratorial. It looks very Star Star Trek, the next generation. It's very cool. How does space crop production work? What are they doing in this video? What does your team do? What we're doing right here is we're planting the seeds. So what we do is we send a pre-planted root module. 
there's uh, Jacob, Taurus, and Lachelle, and you know we're all uh, putting the seeds in, and then that whole root module gets shipped up to space. And you know, there's a lot of logistics. There's a rocket. You know, you got to load it. They got to fly it. They got to dock. They got to you know take it out, stow it, and then eventually we get to one of our, our experiment. You know, so there. And then once the experiment runs, then you got to you know stow it take care of it. There's a lot of things. There's one of the pepper seeds, for example. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. So you go through all of this difficulty to get it there. You got to make sure it's stowed properly. It's got to move. It can't be jostled. It's got to be do all this type of stuff. And then you grow peppers. Why peppers? Well, they're loaded with vitamins, you know, vitamin C and, and K. And also the, the astronauts prefer spicy foods. You know, their their sensors are dulled. You know, I, I haven't been there myself, but, you know, this is what we hear. And and the other thing is peppers are a fruiting crop. So we've grown lettuces, we've grown radishes. Uh, we haven't grown a fruiting crop, so this is a, a challenge. And since we're, we're preparing to go to Mars, we got to figure these things out way before we get to go to Mars. He said fruiting. You said fruiting crop? Sure. Well, I mean... You know, like like a tomato. It okay, yeah, yeah I got you. Yeah, 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 yeah. I got you. Well, I, I noticed one thing here too. This was called NASA's Plant Habitat 04 experiment. What happened in experiments 01 to 03? Well, 01 was growing Arabidopsis, and it was a lot of gene genetics. You know, metabolomics, transcriptomics, a lot of big words. You know, to find out what happens to the spaceflight environment on the effect on plants. Do they respond the same? Do they, you know, can they grow the same rates, etc.? Uh, PHO2, we grow radishes. PHO3 is in process right now. And PHO4 was a technology demonstration to grow the peppers. And there's more coming, you know. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so tell yeah. us about the experiment. How long, did it, how long did it take to run the experiment and what kind of equipment was used? Well, I mean, there was a lot of groundwork. You know, we had to figure out how to grow these larger size peppers inside our our. Our, our microwave box, you know, the advanced plant habitat. So uh, there was a lot of ground studies. We had to use blue, 40% uh, blue light to keep it short. Uh, you know, we had to figure out how to contain all the nutrients so, and, and prevent the, the salts. I mean, this, this lasted 137 days. So we have to bring all the nutrients with us. And, um, you know, once... Once all that was done, we get to package it and send it up, and then the astronauts water it, and then it grows for 130 days. So there was a lot of work to get these peppers produced in space. Yes. You know, astronauts, and this, this isn't the first time you've done this. Astronauts have worked continuously in space for 20 years now, right? Yeah. Eating mostly oh, yeah. packaged foods, though. And, you know, you, when we're talking about space travel, we're taking long-term long sustained space. You have to have those good nutrients, which is why, you know, he's, he's focusing on those peppers sure. and the vitamin C. You can't just yeah. eat packaged food all the time, Michael Vincent. Well, you, yeah, maybe yeah, you can. Chips. You maybe chips. you can. Well, but you've grown. <laughs> I believe that. On well, and the big thing is too. He mentioned the logistics of this. So yeah. each time, if you can't grow it up there, each time you want to bring something, you have to send it up on a rocket, right? And you have to use all that rocket fuel, and you have to use all that payload and all that cargo. What? So what is the future? What's what's the future going to look like of these type of experiments? Well, I mean. Um you're really going to need to have all those logistics if you're going to go to Mars, you know. And, for example, to get to Mars, it, it's just how far away it is. You know, we're going to take a nine-month trip. So you got to bring all your food. Now, um, food on – normally the food package that you were mentioning, you know, 
that's adequate for when we're on the space station because you can resupply in, in, in days if needed, you know. But when it comes to going to Mars, you're going to have to bring all your food with you. And some of that food is uh, some of the vitamins are being degraded. And so you want to supplement the, mm. the, the vitamins with fresh crops. And also, you know, the palates, you know, people want to taste crunchy foods, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, in the long run, you know, that we have to get ready for that. We're not there yet, but this is this is a start. Yeah, it can't be gruel every day like in the Matrix. Yeah, no, that right? would be bad. So <laughs> obviously you can't you can't support uh, Artemis and all the other things that are going on there with a microwave box. So eventually these 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 growing habitats would have to be built in space, correct? Yes, they will be. But but you know everything that we learn, we do it on area basis, so we can scale whatever we learn to to bigger boxes because it's you know amount of water per per uh, amount of area that you used or the fertilizer and the amount of light, et cetera, et cetera. And then this also benefits, uh, you know, what, what happens on the earth with vertical farms. You know, they're going to be much larger, mm-hmm. but the, the inputs can be scaled. And also there's commercial space. You know, eventually there'll be space truckers out there. I, I don't know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I know that your podcast is called Deep Space Trucking. Uh, Mark, Mark has told me about that, Mark, Mark Weiss, before. But um, let me ask you, so since 2015, I, I, I read here that scientists have grown and eaten 11 different crops on the space station. What has been the easiest to grow and what's been the hardest? Well, the easiest is usually, you know, a leafy crop. You, you plant your seed, the plants grow, and it's just the leaves and you eat the leaves. You don't have to cook them or anything. So that's fairly easy. Uh, a little bit harder is a radish, you know, where, okay, now the radish has to form and where it is a form, you know, you want to make sure it forms where it won't be all a square box, you know, and we've gone through those um, on ground studies. And then eventually is the peppers, you know, uh, for example, the radishes and the, they're, they're showing pollinating right there. Um, for example, the, the uh, lettuce and the radish, they can grow in, in 28 days. These peppers, they didn't start producing peppers till after 100 days. So these are definitely much harder to grow. Well, now you met, so, we're, we used, so that's pollinating. We were looking at, at that video. Now, let me ask you, what yeah. is this greenhouse? Like, just let me just imagine this. What does the greenhouse look like in the ISS? Is there gravity in there? We saw the peppers flying around, but how would pollen move in, in zero gravity? How do you agitate the plants and, and, and spread that fertilization? Well, we had to um, devise a way to do it, you know. So one of the ways to do it is turn up the wind speed and, and the turbulence inside. And so that would flutter the leaves and, and some mm. of the pollen would drop out. But to make sure, you know, we, we have astronauts and, and, and you saw um, the astronaut there uh, using their fingers to pollinate the little, you know, uh, and, and that seemed to work. Wow. So they're yeah. acting like bees. They're using their fingers like yeah, bees. Whatever happens to be there, right? But it's, yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, there's yeah, been so, experiments in the past where people use bee sticks. You know? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. So you know, there, a lot of things that we have here on Earth and a lot of advancements came from the space, this the space technology and 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 NASA efforts in space and experiments, etc. Is there intentionality in these two? And and what can be brought down on Earth? Are there things that can be brought back to Earth from this experiment? Well, you know, certainly in the past, for example, like you said, what has been done by NASA and, and you know, the LED technology, we were, I, I think NASA was the first ones to start using it for growing plants. And now, you know, how big it's gotten. And so, you know, the 
the techniques for for controlling and monitoring these these plants at long distances, you know, on the way to Mars, are going to be important. Like in vertical farming, they may be automated. Uh, you might have um, how to monitor the plant health with imaging systems. You know, there's many advances that we still got to make. Soilless water culture. You know, uh, the advanced plant habitat uses a lot of soil, and you know, we got to get rid of that. We can't be bringing mm. soil all the way to Mars. Well, one of the things that we saw and what really caught our attention and made some great headlines uh, about a month or two ago when this happened was that some of these astronauts made space tacos, right? And space tacos look great. Do we get a picture of a space taco? Show, show us a full-on picture of a space taco, and then we'll talk about these uh, these reviews. You got, guys got one of those handy? There we go. Look, there she is. This is astronaut Megan uh, MacArthur. She's got her beautiful space taco up there, and I believe she was the chef of these as well. She made them with uh, with fajita beef, rehydrated tomatoes, so an artichoke. So I guess they didn't grow those yet, but she also used these chili peppers. Um, and we have a review from her, too. Can you guys show that review? She's, if you guys are curious, she said, Friday feasting, after the harvest, we got to taste uh, red and green chili. Oh, so they grew both colors. Then we uh, filled out surveys, got to have the data. Finally, I made my best space taco yet, fajita. Faida beef, the rehydrated tomatoes and artichoke hatch chili. And then uh, Astro Kayla says, um, thanks to the taco night was a huge success. 10 out of 10 would recommend props to Mark for hand. Oh, it was Mark who did the prep work. Uh, the spice level was no joke. So pretty cool. So what kind of peppers are those they're eating there? They look kind of like jalapenos. Well, they're hatched chili peppers from New Mexico. You know, it's a region in New Mexico. And, and so they're, they're very tasty and, you know, uh, um, it was it was awesome that they, they came up with this um, cook, cooking up in space. You know, it's taco night, uh, and this kind of points out another aspect of growing plants in your spacecraft. You know, they're not only your little buddies that are growing people. You can smell the earth. You can, and then you can grow it and cook it. So it has a lot of psychological benefits. So you know, of growing all these plants up there, and you can see how the astronauts just loved it. Yeah, no, it, it, it's absolutely amazing. And you mentioned before that the palates, their senses are dulled, right? So that's part of the that's part of the consideration when what type of plants to grow. Yeah, uh, I you know I've just heard that people used to trade taco sauce, you know, in the shuttle days before for you know let me let me. Oh, it's like currency. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Megan, Megan Pruno in the uh, the astronaut to toilet <laughs> yeah. there. Uh, no, that, that that's really you know another thing I'm thinking about here too is there's this like this sort of uh, push for space commercialism and space uh, and space sure. vacations and space travel. Well, you can't just show people packages of astronaut ice cream from the 1980s and expect them to go book a space cruise, right? Like you're gonna have to show some nice dishes, some tacos. You mentioned that psychological thing. People go. Okay, this is great. I'm going out of this world. It's different, but there's also this familiarity that I can attach myself to, which is cuisine that I'm used to right here on Earth. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, you you're really like like the song says in a tin can, right? All by yourself and everything. Yeah. And and the further you get away, you can't even see the Earth. You know, I mean, we're used to going outside and smelling, you know, the the fresh air and the rain. You know, the you know yeah. after it rains, that smell, that kind of stuff. I don't know. I I haven't been in and isolated that long, but I, I've, I know that that that's important to us. And so by having the plants, uh, the astronauts, you know, were opening the, the, and smelling the plants, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, now, as far as, um, what's going to come, I guess, in the future is eventually you're going to have a space hotels, you know, all these, all these tourists are going up there, yeah. you know, 
Uh, right now, we have limited number of crews and, and these small, uh, you know, uh, advanced plant habitat chambers could feed them. But eventually, we're going to need bigger, bigger yeah. farms. And- I think it's really interesting, Oscar, that you had these sensitivities. You've never been to space, yet you're very, very much, you've spoken about it almost every time you've answered a question about the sensitivities and the needs for the psychological and smelling that rain and feeling that earth and that type of stuff. It's very interesting to me. Well, you know, Twitter, speaking of smell, Twitter user, Mr. Cheeseburger, he asked, (laughs) we're talking about tacos here. He asked, what do you do if there's gas from these tacos? So some typical human uh, behavior. Uh, Well, I know (laughs) I, I have heard that in space, you're very stuffed up, right? It kind of feels like you have a bit of a fluid up in your head. Well, you have, um, you know, uh, fluid shifts, you know, on your head, uh, the fluids move towards your upper torso. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not a, I, I just know these things, but, you know, uh, I've worked with the Mir station before where we measured, for example, methane levels and, you know, they were as high as uh, one, I, I think 1600 parts per million. Don't quote me on this. You know, I, we can look it up, but you know, where does the methane come? You know, it's from when you, you know, you eat food. <laughs> Flatulence. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, some problems you got to deal with on Earth and in space. Yeah, yeah, so, so, so it happens. Well, the spacecraft doesn't, don't, don't have windows that are open. So everything that, <laughs> everything that comes out is, has to be clean. And, you know. Uh, Light a match. You, you have, yeah. yeah. You, you can't crack the airlock unless, like, the, uh, the mother alien is there and you want to suck her out. <laughs> so, Oscar, I got I can't let you go without asking this question. Is is okay. you've seen the movie Martian, right? Yes. Okay. So, uh, true or false? Are you growing potatoes on Mars? Can he do that? Was that was that pretty true? Could he have well, done it the way he uh, did it? Uh, well, you still need soil and water and CO two yeah. and all that stuff. Now, uh, a couple of things with Mars, you know, that there's less gravity, so the depth of the pots would have been much bigger than the depth that he used. You know, I and there's you. moisture distribution so these are going to be problems that we have to uh address when we go to the moon and mars because of the lower gravity you're going to have to change your media size you know and also there's more uh radiation you know Mm. the galactic radiation so we still got to find out what's going to happen to these plants when we have them in deep space Yeah. yeah Well, Oscar, what's next for the Advanced Planet Habitat? What are you What are you trying to grow next up there? Some bananas are my favorite. You can get some of those cooking. I'll be up there. Well, there's some uh, cotton experiments going up. Uh, more evidences to look at seed to seed experiments. Uh, probably tomatoes and you know uh, effects of looking at drought on on lettuce. Uh, you know, there's these. It's the sky's the limit, really, what it comes down to. But. All this data that we collect is going to be used for future design of a better plant chamber than the advanced plant habitat. You know, one that doesn't use all the soil uh, and that's useful for, you know, going on the nine uh, month trip to Mars. Well, and hey, we have, you know, we have our own climate issues here on Earth. So technology growing in hospitable conditions, being able to do that. I can definitely see the use case for this technology down here on Earth. Keep up the great work over there at NASA. We love what you guys are doing. And I heard you put up a pretty big, uh, cool telescope this week, too. So congratulations, little cowbell on that as well. (laughs) All right. Take care, Oscar. Have a great weekend. You bet. Thank you. Thanks. Wow. I want to be a cattle farmer on Mars. Really excited. I mean, look, look what a time to what a time to be alive, right? What a time yeah, to be alive. We're very growing cool. peppers up in space, people. I know it. It's awesome, man. It's 2015, 11 crops too. Yeah, it's very, and that's very just cool. And that's just going to accelerate as the technology gets it's better. Very cool. It's very cool. Yeah, bananas. 
I need some bananas. He needs bananas. All right, it's, it's Friday. Let's do a little good bananas. news, bad news, and we'll send you home. Bad news and good news. All right, I hope they're okay. Bad news. You've always wanted to know more about roadside wildflowers at full speed, right? Yeah, can't, I can't get the information at full speed. Dude. Every, I can't see what they are. Yes, yeah, so you got to stop the car and get out. It's been a big pain for everybody out there. You're driving down the highway. It takes me you forever. You see the flowers. They look exciting. It takes me forever to drive anywhere because i got to stop. Well, here's the good news. There's oh. a field guide for that by the prairie ecologist. And, uh, How come I didn't know this earlier? <laughs> it says, uh, name, Stiff Goldenrod, Oliguko Rigidigata. I should have had Oscar pronounce this <laughs> one for sure me. I'm sure that's accurate. <laughs> The flowering season, I don't know if this is accurate. It says the flowering season of these roadside wildflowers is late summer to early fall. Habitat is is roadsides. I wonder if they could grow these up in space. We should have also asked Oscar that. Uh, Description, the flat top flowers of stiff goldenrods create narrower bands of yellow than most other goldenrods, helping to distinguish the species from the crowd. The lack of dark streaks also helps separate it from the sunflowers. Otherwise, it's similar in appearance to many other yellow flowers, similar species, anything yellow. I love the way the description is of that picture, right? Of how it looks at that speed. Yes, that's what whoever was writing this research paper did on the way into school, I think. It is sweet. It's sweet. It's sweet. I've got some bad news for you, friend, because you want to check out the Freedom Convoy 2022 up in Canada. But all your cars and trucks are in the shop, bro. You don't have a car shop. What am I going to do? You're going to get a snowmobile, man. You're going to do what this cat did right here. Check this out, man. Look at this guy. All right. Oh, there he goes. Zooming by with a big banner on the back, flying in a breeze, snow flying everywhere, beautiful, sunny day. Well, I have no doubt that's up in Canada. Uh, (laughs) No, that is definitely not in Tennessee here. That is for certain. (laughs) You know, one of my... my, I uh, met my wife on an online dating site, and one of our first dates was to go um, snowmobiling, right? Yeah. And uh, I remember like, a couple of people told my wife, they're like, don't go, that guy could be like a weirdo. She's like, hell no, I want to go snowmobiling. Yeah. Then I knew she was the one. Excellent. Then I knew she there was the one. There you go. Hey, snowmobiles <laughs> a blast. We'd do that. Well, by the way, Elon Musk, he, he has weighed in on this protest, too, in case you're wondering what Elon had to say. He said Canadian truckers rule. So there you it seems go. like he's in support of all this. Yes, um, he is. Here's one for you. Bad news. You are a trucker, Matt Hall, and you're driving down the highway when this happens. Look at this. What do we got going on here? So he's going straight down the highway. He's in the left lane. He's well, coming. Look at his truck coming oh, from man. the left. And a tru- Where did the truck come? The truck came from the other side of the yeah. road, right came across right the across me- Good thing that guy wasn't there on his snowmobile. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. Good that thing guy he wasn't there. Good thing this guy had already passed him. And if you look real fast and you play that, the bumper on that truck comes off and sticks into his grill. Wait, where the bumper from which check, truck? Check it out. Run it one more time and just watch real close. Right there. Boom. Oh, yeah. So what did he hit? I'm seeing some debris. Did he hit something on the other side of the road and it threw it to this? I don't know, but you can see that grill come off, or the bumper come off, and just stick directly in this dude's grill right there. Bang. Uh, yeah. Not cool, man. This is, you know, that's not the kind of, I got to take a long drive up to, uh, my parents just got a place in North Carolina. We got about an eight hour drive after, uh, after the show I got to take up there. And um, I hope no trucks come towards me. I'll keep no, my head on all swivel. safety. Be safe, man. Run, run safe and Godspeed and all that other kind of stuff. You got a dream meeting with your client there? Is there good news? You got a dream meeting with your client up there? Well, I mean, if you call my mom and dad <laughs> a client. Oh, okay. Well, hey, here is some good news, though, man. You've been trying to get a dream meeting with this client, with your dream client, and finally it comes. And guess what they do to you? What? He, he, he just totally faces you, and he sends you a calendaring link oh. and says, hey, go here and uh, you know, pick a time with me. Get in line. 
Well, yeah. <laughs> now, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It sounds like you're referencing the Sam Leeson tweet I, yesterday I that am, went I like, am. I'm making a little fun kind of, of this anti-viral, one right here. It kind of got yeah. ratioed. And it said, county <laughs> etiquette did. is the most raw, naked display of social capital dynamics in business. Now, Jesus. I find this really interesting because I personally have never been offended by a county link. I personally really like them. I like the flex. I don't use them because my show, I need really specific times. But I like that when someone sends it to me, I can asynchronously decide when to pick it. We don't have to have this dance, the back and forth dance of you I think telling me when's available. I think it's great etiquette. I yeah. think it shows concern for my time and their time. I think it's awesome way to do it. The only reason I would be slightly offended is like you mentioned. I'm going to see my mom and dad and they put me a, send me a calendar. That, well, that would be a bad <laughs> one. Well, here's what bit. he wrote. He said, when someone sends you a county link and asks you to slot yourself on their calendar, they are telling you that you are less important than them and that all of their current meetings are more important than whatever you need them for. It's a get in line move. I get it. It's efficient to do for the sender. And there is some uh, egalitarian world where you say, if we're all equally busy and treat everyone we are meeting is equally important than having that first in-person meeting as a, as a dance, right? The dance uh, to get slotted isn't unreasonable. Well, however, here's the thing. In practice, I will never click on your calendar link ever unless maybe you are the president. Whoa. You think this guy, like... It, it, of why the United it, States, dude. The president of the United States. Yeah. So no other president, just a president of the United States. Just a president of the United States. Doesn't matter what uh, if you're president of an organization. Bobby Goodlatte, he wrote, men will rant about Calendly rather than going to therapy. Okay, fine, I'll go to therapy. <laughs> Therapist sends Calendly link. link. <laughs> like, is it, uh, it sounds like this, this person, um, and I don't know them, so I don't know if they're really narcissistic, but their internalization of this process does sound very narcissistic. Like, you're somehow by you giving them the flexibility of picking any time you want, you are not allowing them to on demand. Is that what his contention is? He can't just on demand pick the time that he needs? I guess. I don't know. I don't know. I, 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 frankly, I, I'm not offended by it. I love the Calendly link. I like to use it, and I like when people use it for me because it prevents all that other stuff. So I, I really don't understand this guy's where he's coming from. Trung fan tweeted, what gives people feelings of power? Uh, <laughs> money, status, and then uh, under it, the big bar is uh, sending Calendly links that are completely full. <laughs> all the blocks full. Now, I can see now that, being, that that is a power move right I can see there. that being a little bit offensive. Now, is there an instance like... As much as I like Calendly, I think if there really is a super like important meeting, that's one of those things you may want to like hash out on the phone, take off uh, off email, and put a little more touch and tenderness and, and care to. But I think in general, this perspective is strange. But you know, I used to put that coffee down. We used to yeah. both be in cells. And I, is this something you should be mindful of? Yours in Calendly links. So, should you be concerned that someone out there is going to be offended, offended by you giving them this uh, on-demand ease of access to your schedule? I, I don't think so. I, 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 I wouldn't be, uh, I mean, it, I would explain why it's there, I guess, but I don't think even in sales why I would think it would be a, a bad thing to use. I don't it either. It's incredibly efficient to me. I like that you can reschedule, too, yeah. and you can also, like, sometimes people have times open at weird times. That's like, right. like, I'll take calls at 7 p.m. or That's 6 right. in the morning, times when I'm off That's and right. awake, and would, wouldn't mind getting out of the way. That's right. I, I think it's, if you're getting the calendar link to go there, you got to understand one thing. Your importance is not necessarily theirs yet until you get in that door and make it. Set your Calendly for noon Eastern time on Monday. We'll be back with an all-new What the Truck. Subscribe to the show. Find me on Twitter at Timothy Dooner. That's D-O-O-N-E-R. Find him at Vincent the Dude. Tell him how to be this one. Peace and love. Spread it everywhere. <laughs>